Um, you find value in different things and it's time and relationships and experiences that are more important. And people have always asked me, how come you don't buy a house? Like instead of spending all this money on through hiking, why don't you put it down on the house? And I feel like a house will always be there. If I want to buy a house later in life, I can. Mm-hmm. Like those things will always be there. But I don't necessarily know that I'll be able to hike later in life. I don't know that I'll be able to do certain things later in life that I'd want to do. That I could do now. Welcome to the Hiking Through Podcast. I'm Erin Egan, still in the Philippines and now with a typhoon. And this is the podcast where I talk to experienced through hikers about their adventures on the trail and strategies for successfully completing a through hike. Today's guest is Darth Jader, known off trail as Jade Cabrera. She was one of the adventurers who took on the PCT in 2019. With her tramley, she walked, ran, glissaded, and hitchhiked up the West Coast. In this episode, we talk luxury items and mascara, post-trail, leave no trace, oh the Sierras, and stepping foot on the trail in the first place. You can find this episode and all previous episodes at hiking-through.com, where you can also find show notes, photos, and links for any gear mentioned in this podcast. You can also listen to us on Apple Podcast and all the other podcast places. Enjoy my conversation with Darth Jader. It took a thousand times more energy to get over the snow. Um, You were so much hungrier, so much more tired, and your mileage went down a ton. So I think we had kind of expected it, our mileage to go down, and we had prepped for enough days of food. We were just so hungry. That you just couldn't stop yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. So I just realized, and luckily, lucky I did realize it, but I just realized that I hadn't been recording that earlier section. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> um, technology was going to kill me. Something I <laughs> well, then, welcome to my club. <laughs> So, so I'm going to rehash a little bit of it. I, I know it won't, okay. it won't be as spontaneous as it was, but I don't want to miss, obviously, and I don't want, I want to make sure to share some of that stuff with people because it was, it's some brilliant stories. So, <laughs> so sorry about that in advance. No, you're totally good. So to circle back to the the most important story that we were literally just talking about, which was the mascara. I know you have to rehash it. Sorry about that. It's so embarrassing. <laughs> it's it's actually oh, though, I mean it is it's embarrassing and and whatever, but it's also brilliant. <laughs> I think in tor- sort of the the synthesis from or the transition from who you were before you started the trail to who you became on the trail and that evolution. Yeah, it definitely it definitely sums it up in just that little bottle. Yeah. But to to rehash it, sorry. So when you started the trail, so I guess to bring people up to speed, you you are from the OC or Orange County. 
I am from the Inland Empire, Orange County area. And growing up, uh, what was what was that, or how how were you in normal life? So I grew up in Orange County. I was one of those girls. I mean, I switched from glasses to colored contacts, and my hair was always done. And you drove the nice cars, and your car was always clean. And I always had makeup on, a full face of makeup. Never went out in public without it. So my whole expectation of going on the trail was I'm going to bring mascara with me. It's going to be great. And that was, you were actually, I mean, when you go from full face makeup to just mascara, like you're actually compromising there. (laughs) That was a big deal in itself. Yes. (laughs) So, I mean, I could have brought my my face makeup and my makeup sponge and my blush and everything else. But I mean, I sat there and put a lot of thought into it. It was, it was either eyeliner or mascara because I feel like those are the two that make the biggest difference when you put them on. Make you look the least dead when you wake <laughs> up in the morning. <laughs> so I ended up going with mascara and it, it jumped, it jumped into its bat and went to my bag by itself. And <laughs> of course, I don't know how I got there. <laughs> um, but yeah, I ended up starting the trail with mascara. I wore it for the first two to three weeks and by the third week, it became more of a nuisance and more of a hassle. I'd wake up in the morning and, you know, when you don't wash mascara off, your eyelashes start to stick. Mm-hmm. So I went from having like 30 eyelashes to three. Oh. And <laughs> yeah, it just, and at that point, I didn't even care anymore. Um, it almost looked worse than if I just had nothing on. So I gave up the mascara, but I didn't send it home. I kept it until the very end of the trail. I think at that point, it had become more of like a a sentimental thing to me. Mm -hmm. I had started the trail with it because I wanted to look a certain way. And by three or four weeks in, I just didn't care anymore. So I feel like it had sentimental value in the fact that I had changed and it kind of represented that change a little bit. I kept it with me. You you realize, and I hope that you've kept this bottle bottle of mascara with you now, because this is like a symbol (laughs) of the trail for you. I just may carry it on my next, my next through hike. <laughs> yes. It's, it's like your, uh, your little friend. <laughs> you just, you take it everywhere <laughs> with you. Oh, not a stuffed animal, just a little bottle of mascara. Sometimes the smaller the thing, the more important, the more symbolic. <laughs> right. Ultra light. Exactly. Exactly. But you and you were telling me previously when when we weren't recording, unfortunately, <laughs> that you had also through the course of the thing, you weren't a big fan of cowboy camping because of oh, because of spiders and bugs, bugs in general. Um, mostly spiders, though. I have a, a phobia of spiders. <laughs> There's a little bit of spiders. There's a lot of mosquitoes in some areas of the trail too. So stayed away from any kind of cowboy camping. I think I count on one hand how many times I cowboy camp. And I mean, a lot of people do it. A lot of people love it. But I kind of feel like these days with tents and certain tents, they're all meshed on the top and don't have fabric. So if you're trying to sleep under the stars, you can do it just as, you can see just as much cowboy camping as you can with a, a tent. Right. But you kind of avoid the bugs and the the snakes and whatever else is looming in the woods. Hey, I am right there with you. I, I, <laughs> people talk about cowboy camping. I'm like, but why would you do that? 
Tents were made for a reason. Yeah, exactly. And like part of it too, this is totally irrational. And I don't know how many times people have told me that a bear can just rip through your tent if they're going to get you. And the same with the cougar. But it's like a sense of security knowing that there's that little tiny piece of fabric between you and whatever else is out there. It's yeah. totally irrational, but it's like a security blanket. Mm-hmm. You you have a, a symbolic wall, if nothing else. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it's all in your mind, but it made me feel better. <laughs> whatever lets you sleep at night. <laughs> exactly. So when you started, among other things, including the mascara, you your pack was pretty heavy. And you were telling me that you resisted the shakedowns until about how many weeks in? Uh, it was like four or five weeks. I had reached hiker heaven. This is totally ridiculous. When I started, I'm not sure exactly how much my pack weighed when I started, um, but I know by the time I had reached Warner Springs, I was up to 45 pounds of food and water. I don't know what was in my pack at that point. <laughs> um, but I, I had just gotten rid of everything. By the fourth or fifth week, I reached hiker heaven and I was like, I don't need any of this shit. All of it's got to go. The basics can stay. Everything else has to leave. So I got rid of, I got rid of a ton of clothes. Um, I think I had five pairs of underwear, and I got rid of all of those. I got rid of a couple pairs of pants, a pair of shorts, a couple shirts that I hadn't worn. I think I got rid of a sweater as well, and I didn't get rid of my stove at that point. I waited till after the Sierra, but my stove went as well throughout the the hike. And so you you basically got down to just your hiking clothes with with a couple mm-hmm. of jackets. Yeah, by the end by the end I had whittled my pack down to twenty three pounds of food and water, and wow. which was, I mean, it's not light for an ultralight hiker or a I don't know a lightweight hiker, um, but it was light for me. It was a big difference from the beginning, and. So I don't know. I just, it, there was a lot of things that I got rid of throughout throughout my through hike. Right, and you were saying that you swapped out gear, like you swapped out your pack. What was the pack initially? What was your pack initially? So I actually started with a Gregory, a Gregory, a seventy liter Diva pack. Ooh, wow. Okay. Yeah, and I have no idea why I started with such a big pack, and it was almost completely full. That's like the worst <laughs> part. In fact, it was completely full. Um, and I actually switched out at Hiker Heaven. I switched out that pack for, which is almost five pounds. And I got rid of that and switched it out for a Hyperlite Mountain Gear. Okay. Mountain Gear Hyperlite pack, which is barely over two pounds. So I dropped three pounds just by getting rid of that pack and switching to a frame, a light frame pack. If only three pounds were that easy to get rid of all the time. I know. <laughs> Life would be so much simpler. Oh, my God. <laughs> so easy and then what else did you kind of swap out at that point obviously you got rid of clothes and things like that but was there anything else that Mm -hmm. you swapped out um I don't think so I don't think I switched out anything else major I sent a lot of things home I didn't uh, swap out anything else until the Sierra the Sierra a lot of my gear changed um but up until that point everything else pretty much stayed the same besides my path and then I guess with circling circling back to one other thing that we, we had talked about previously, which was the laundry skirt. 
That, that's what I'm going to call it is the laundry skirt story. Um, oh my God. Which was, which is actually pretty damn brilliant. Uh, all things considered <laughs> when you, when you literally just take your puffy and, uh, wrap it, close it and wrap it. Oh, you should have seen the looks that we got at <laughs> the resort we were at. Um, really? at that point I only had, yeah, we were at, uh, Cove, Shelter Cove and there's a really fancy resort that families go down to and there's lots of families, lots of kids running around and and there's a ton of hikers there but I think me and the other girl that I'm with in the picture I think we were the only ones that that were that ultra light at that point <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we didn't have town clothes I think both of us were just down one pair of underwear and so it was just like <laughs> if we're gonna wash our clothes we're gonna wash all of them it's now or never because Oregon there's not a ton of places to stop we didn't know when we were going to be able to do laundry or shower next so we washed all of our, our shirt our shorts our underwear our socks and just hung out in our wind shirts and our puffies as skirts but it worked out really well my clothes are clean and that puffy was so gross. It, I mean, there was there was no bringing it back at that point. <laughs> there was no washing that could help it. No, I actually threw it away. It had holes in it too. Um, and this year, when I was cooking, I had burned a hole in the bottom of it and one of the sleeves, and, and so and it had gotten torn, caught on things, and so it was a garment. But it was. I love the jacket. It was a great jacket. Totally recommend it. What was it? It was actually a marmot quasser women's hoodie. The, the puffy was? Mm-hmm. It was a marmot jacket. The marmot puffy. Nice. Okay. Yeah. So was that was that one of the soldiers that was lost at sea? You sort of just... <laughs> just one of the many. <laughs> but, but I love how... And again, I, I refer back to your Instagram feed where you're 1,500 miles in and uh, one of your... You've officially declared something a luxury item. Do you, remember, do you remember what that was? I don't. I don't. Uh, you, you've officially declared deodorant as a luxury item. Oh, yeah. That was my luxury item the entire time, though. <laughs> I, I can't tell you how many times people tried to give, get me to give up my deodorant. And, like, probably 95% of PCTers or through hikers don't carry deodorant. I know. Because everyone, everyone smells. And it's so funny because my family would try to tell me, oh, you can't even, I've never been able to smell anyone else on trail, that they could never smell anyone. They only smelled themselves. And that was only sometimes, but I could smell every single one of them. <laughs> <laughs> so you knew how bad it was. Yeah. <laughs> and I could smell myself too. It doesn't mean, I mean, your body is just gross. If, if you don't take showers. There's stenches that come out of all yes. sorts of places. So, I mean, I could smell myself too, but at least it was one less smell I didn't have to smell. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Deodorant only takes care of one location. <laughs> exactly. exactly. And there, I'm, this is terrible, but there were times where I would rub deodorant on my shorts or rub, <laughs> if I was going to go into town or go into someone's car, we were trying to hitch a ride. 
I try to be as considered as possible. So I'd rub deodorant on my shorts or on my shirt or wherever I felt like the smell was coming from. And I know other hikers I hiked with that would use hand sanitizer and would rub hand sanitizer in certain places. And I mean, you try to do what you can. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're, you're considerate to some degree at that point. <laughs> yeah, as much as possible. I'm surprised that I haven't heard somebody say something about Febreze. <laughs> about Febreze? Yeah. If they made like a powder Febreze, it would be perfect. We'll, we'll send that note to whoever makes Febreze. <laughs> powder Febreze for the through hikers. Really important. <laughs> How was that transition for you from full face makeup to, okay, I'm only going to carry mascara to I just don't give a damn? Um, it was hard the first couple weeks. Um, the first couple weeks, it was just hard feeling like a hot mess all the time and there was no fixing it um (laughs) (laughs) but I feel like after the first couple weeks you meet so many people and I mean everybody looks the same everyone smells the same and you get to know people on such a deeper level than you would in real life especially your family like we spent so much time together every single day day in and day out and we didn't always hike together but at the end of the day when you camp with people and they're the only people you see or the only people you really sit and talk with, you learn a lot about each other really quickly. So like the, the materialistic and like how you look and outside things, they become a lot less important than, than, I don't know, than like the connection that you form with people. Mm -hmm. Um, it just changes really quickly. Your perspective on everything changes really quickly. Um, you have a lot less distractions out there. There's no Instagram. There's no Facebook. I mean, every now and then you have reception, but it's a lot less. It's a lot less. It's a lot more like people based on the hike in the hiker community. Mm-hmm. And like everybody gets to know each other, whether you've actually met the person or not, you hear about people and you'll hear their name over and over again ahead like down the road or when you heard about them at the beginning of the trail or sometimes you get to meet those people it was really cool on trail especially this year because because of the snow a lot of people flip-flopped and so you'd hear about people on trail and then you'd get to meet them later somewhere down the road even though they started after you so like normally you'd never see those people that started after you once you start unless you're kind of hanging out in towns or taking your time most of the time you don't get to meet the people behind you but this year was really cool because we got to meet a lot of the people that started after us and a lot of the people that started ahead of us right there was a lot of intermingling of of groups this year yeah yeah and it was really cool it was a cool experience got to meet a lot of really awesome people what got you onto the trail I mean, I know you said your family backpack, but that's a completely different activity. <laughs> and you also had made a note somewhere about, you know, you you kind of took a broke, break from your career to do this. Yeah, I actually, so I actually got into the trail um, when we had done the 50 mile little section hike of the Pacific Crest Trail. I think it was back in, it was back in 2017. And we actually met one of the girls who was a travel nurse on trail and 
she kind of talked to us about the trail and I was with my, one of my little brothers and he actually started the trail with me. But after talking to her, both of us, it kind of ignited like a spark and both of us decided I want to do this someday. Like someday we're going to hike the PCT and it didn't work out in 2018. I was in nursing school and my brother had asked me to do it with him in 2018. And I told him, if you wait a year, I'll go with you in 2019. So I have graduated nursing school. I put in about a year and a half in work and I ended up quitting my job to do the PCT, which I mean, a lot of people, I think probably 90 to 95% of people quit their jobs or they have seasonal jobs or some people are really fortunate and have jobs that are flexible that their bosses will let them take six months off and then hire them back when they come back. So I just ended up quitting though. And it just kind of worked out. I had texted my brother, I don't know, eight months before permits came out and asked him if he wanted to do it. And so we both decided we were going to do it. It was now or never. Why do you say now or never? Um, For me, I feel like, well, I'm, I'm 27 years old, not getting any younger. Um, <laughs> Don't even talk to me about age, woman. <laughs> well, and I mean, I want to have kids and yeah. have a family someday. And I feel like once you do that, it's a little bit harder to find that flexibility to leave home for six months. You have a lot more responsibilities. You have mortgage payments and you taking care of a family and you have a lot more responsibilities. And at this point in my life, I don't have any of those. I don't own a house. I mean, the biggest thing I pay for is my car payment. So for me, it was, it felt like a perfect time to either do it. And I knew that if I didn't do it now, I probably wasn't going to do it later. And probably, or if I did do it later, it would be a lot later in life. Right. When all of the the kids and whatever out of the house and, and doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, as a nurse, I have a lot of patients that come in that will tell me, um, they saved up all this money or they saved up all this. They didn't do these things when they were younger. Cause they thought, Oh, I'll have money and I'll have time when I retire. But when they retired, then they got sick and life changes. There's so many circumstances that change. So it kind of felt like it, if I didn't do it now, I didn't know what the future held for me. And so it was now or never. Did you hearing those stories from them? sort of light the fire and, and has it, I guess, light lit the fire for you to do other things, to not procrastinate on things or not put things off? I think so. I definitely think so. I think, well, I think especially after through hiking, you learn what's important to you. Um, you find value in different things and it's time and relationships and experiences that are more important. And people have always asked me, how come you don't buy a house? Like instead of spending all this money on through hiking, why don't you put it down on the house? And I feel like a house will always be there. If I want to buy a house later in life, I can mm-hmm. like those things will always be there, but I don't necessarily know that I'll be able to hike later in life. I don't know that I'll be able to do certain things later in life that I'd want to do that I could do now. Right. You're, you're choosing to spend your money on experiences versus things. Right. And I don't think there's a right or wrong answer to that. I think everybody's different and everybody has different priorities and different experiences and different wants and needs for their life. So, but that's, that's what I feel I need in life is more experiences and more 
more, uh, I don't want to say memories because that's super cheesy, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> speaking speaking of experiences, and this is kind of diverting a little bit from the PCT, but but I bonded with your picture, so I'm going to go there, which is, it looks like you did the Inca Trail into Machu Picchu. Is that correct? So we didn't do the Inca Trail. Um, we need permits for that, and, and I think the only way you can get a permit nowadays is by hiring um, a, you have to be part of like a tour or whatever right. it's called. Right. We actually did the Salkante Trek, which is, is, it's a, I think it's 50 miles. Oh, you're fine. I think it's 50 miles long. Um, it's another trek that goes like through Salkante Pass and you see the huge mountains and it's beautiful. It's totally a beautiful hike. It's a lot more rural than the Inca Trail. It's a lot more like backcountry rather than you don't see as much historical stuff, but you don't need a permit for that one. You can just. Self-guided, I basically. Did. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. I have I had not heard of that. Yeah, it's actually really cool that you end up at Machu Picchu. So it kind of goes the same place, but it's a little bit different, a little bit more rural. Um, we actually didn't pass any hikers, any other hikers while we were on trail. We just passed mules and uh, people that live there that were moving food and crops and gear and whatever else they needed. But it's actually a really cool hike. It goes all the way up to a little over 15,000 feet. <laughs> a little. A little over. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's a little bit high, but it was really pretty. So so you were pre-testing your altitude uh, aptability. <laughs> yeah, I figured if I could do that, I'd make it through the Sierra. Seems like a fair analysis. <laughs> so now that you're back in civilization... How has things changed for you after the experience of the, of doing the trail? Um, I guess my question is, where does mascara fall on the range of importance uh, these days? <laughs> um, most of the time I don't have makeup on now. Every now and then I'll put mascara and blush on, but that's about the extent of my face that gets put on every morning. Yeah, most of the time it's just makeup free. It's kind of funny because when I went to work, I didn't have any makeup on. I didn't have makeup on at all for the first couple of weeks that I was back. I couldn't even find it, to be totally honest, besides <laughs> my mascara. <laughs> but your your mascara's your mascara bottle has a great, very strong survival instinct. I got to tell you, <laughs> it does. But when I went to work, I went to visit my old coworkers and all of them. <laughs> I got the, you look tired or you look, you look really tan. And there was, but I feel like most of it's because, well, one, I was really tan, but <laughs> I think I had been the only time I went to work, I had makeup on mm-hmm. always, every time, a full face of makeup, face makeup, everything. So I think it was kind of startling for them, <laughs> but I feel a lot better. My skin's a lot healthier. I don't know. It's just not a priority anymore. It's not important like it was before. Mm-hmm. If I have time, I'll put it on. And if not, it's kind of just like a, a god with a naked face. Right. You you don't you don't feel self conscious about it. No, not anymore. And I think that was one of the biggest things when I started. And there was no makeup on my face. I kind of would look down at my shoes, didn't want to make eye contact with hikers because. I was kind of embarrassed. I mean, I was used to seeing my face a certain way and mm-hmm. I knew what it looked like with makeup and without makeup. And 
But I mean, now after months of having no makeup, I don't know. It's just a different perspective. I don't, I don't care. And I don't see it like that anymore. I still get dressed up and I'll still put on makeup when I go out to like dinner or to a fancy place or whatever. But for the most part, I just don't feel the need anymore to put on makeup. It's kind of a funny thing. It feels, not feels, it sounds freeing. Yeah, it definitely is. It definitely is. Both, you know, obviously makeup is probably the most uh, visible example of that. But I'm sure that there are a lot of other things as well from the trail that that are lasting, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think your perspective just changes. You have so little on the trail that... I don't know that the extra stuff in real life and or in civilization just becomes extra stuff. It almost becomes like more work than it would be. It's it's more work being in civilization than it is being on trail in the sense, not in the physical sense, but in the sense of getting ready every morning or feeling presentable or I don't know. It's just a different way of living. Very different way of living. You've, you've simplified things. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, a lot of people talk about like a post-trail depression um, or their their body rebels at not having the activity. Did you have either of those issues? So I didn't have post-trail depression. Um, I try to get outside at least once a week and hike something. And then as far as I was so ready to come home, I the trail was amazing. I loved being on trail. I loved my family. I loved the people I was with. The experience in itself was amazing. But by Washington, I was ready to be done. Like, I was tired of hiking 30 30 to 40 miles a day. I was tired of setting up my tent every day. I was tired of being dirty and itchy. Mm -hmm. And and then it started uh, raining in Washington. At that point, it was cold. All my stuff was wet. (laughs) (laughs) You'd pick up your tent and the whole bottom would be wet. And it was just... It was... I don't know. It was an amazing experience and I loved it. I loved it my time on trail, but by the end I was ready to come off of trail. I was ready to go home and lay down yeah. in a warm bed. Which is probably almost the best result. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like you're ready to be and you're ready to not uh-huh. be. Right. It definitely made the transition easier. And I mean, going back to work when I came back from the trail at that point, I was broke, so work was a necessity. So going back to work was a little bit hard at first, and it's hard to be around people in the same the same way that you were before. Um, I think because when you're on trails, you only have to be around the people you like. If you don't like them, keep hiking. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't want to be around them, you just keep walking. But I think in real life, especially when you're at work and you're forced to deal with people that you don't particularly enjoy being around. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit harder. Your patience is a little bit less. It's a little bit harder to, to, uh, it's a little bit harder to, to sugarcoat things than it was on the trail. So I think that's the only kind of difficult thing I had, or the only thing I had a difficult time out of dealing with when I came back emotionally wise or mm-hmm. being in civilization again. But as far as physical, I was, my knees are just 
just fried. <laughs> really? Yeah, and I think most of it came from the Sierra. Walking down in the snow, especially when you're trying, the people in front of you would dig holes. And so hmm. the guys were mostly the ones that were in front. So their steps were a lot bigger than us girls. And so when we were in the back, your feet would just kind of slump and you'd step into a hole and you'd just fall all the way down into the hole. And it wasn't post-holing, but it was a lot bigger. Their steps were a lot bigger than ours were. Um, so it was always like a pounding motion when you hit their steps. And I just think it destroyed my knees. How how tall are you? I'm 5'5". Five, five. Okay. I'm not tiny, tiny, but I'm definitely not You're as tall as the guys that were in their group. Yeah. 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 So I think I had trouble with my knees. I still have a little bit of knee pain every now and then, mostly um, when I'm walking downhill. And then my feet, I get a lot of foot cramps still. And it's not so much, it's not a muscle pain and it's not a bone pain. It's like a tendon pain where it feels like they're pulling. I don't know if that's normal or not. I haven't really talked to anybody else about it, but it's not an all the time thing. It's a rare thing when I'm laying on the couch, I can feel it pull and it goes away with time and, but time and vitamin know. A and vitamin I. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't think you can survive the trail without any kind of repercussions, at least with, like physical repercussions. So were you basically like, were your knees bothering you from the Sierras onward? Um, so they really bothered me while we were in the Sierra. They didn't really bother me through Oregon, but apparently Oregon is, somewhat flat mm-hmm. uh, and then in Washington I felt it a little bit yeah it wasn't terrible though it's more now I think now that I'm off trail and I'm not always using my legs mm-hmm. not always hiking that many miles um I think I feel it a little bit more now than I did on trail it's kind of like a numbing they went numb after so long on the trail whereas now I feel every crack and <laughs> <laughs> now you feel your 27 years yeah <laughs> I've got I'm 27 years old with like 50 year old knees <laughs> well thankfully you are still 27 so the body <laughs> recuperates well that's the most <laughs> that's the miracle of the body I'm waiting for it <laughs> <laughs> when did you when did you start the trail when did you finish the trail so I actually started March 29th or March 30th. I think I was supposed to start the 29th and I started the 30th. And then I finished August 15th. We were kind of a race against time. Um, August 16th, 17th, and 18th was trail days down in Cascade Lock. And so me and my family were all dead set on going to that. So we all decided to, that we were going to, we were going to be done on the 15th. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys just go up to the monument and then? come back out through Washington or did you actually go into Canada and, and across and around? Oh, no. Um, no, oh, no, we were, no, no. Um, so if you go to the monument and you touch the monument and turn around, it's still another 30 miles I back know. to hard pass. Yeah. Bro, we all thought the people that did that were crazy. <laughs> no, I thought <laughs> at that point I was not doing any extra miles that I did not have to do. That did not count. I was not doing it. So actually, I didn't apply for a permit until like two weeks before, maybe a week and a half before we were supposed to be in Canada, um, which I don't advise doing because on their website, it says it can take six to eight weeks. But I had heard 
So originally I had planned on just going back to Hearts Pass because I hadn't applied for a permit. I just hadn't gotten around to it. I'm kind of a procrastinator. So I think that those 30 miles would be quite an incentive for you. I know. <laughs> I would think so. I think it was just kind of one of those out of sight, out of mind things. Yeah. <laughs> so until I was closer, it didn't really exist. But when we got to Washington, it was definitely real. <laughs> it was definitely real. And so I had just applied. I had heard from a lot of people on trail that it took a couple days, that they were getting their permits back in just a few days. So I ended up applying. I got my permit back just in time and ended up going into Canada. And my parents actually met us there and drove like six or seven of us back home. It was a okay. pretty big group of us. The, the the visual in my head as you as you say that it got there just in time is literally as you're walking towards the border there's a bird that kind of <laughs> flops in and or flies in and drops it to your hand as you walk across the border. <laughs> it would have been perfect. <laughs> yeah, you actually have well, I mean that would have worked because it would have been printed. Yeah, it was a little bit of a concern. I actually didn't have my permit with me though. That would have been really convenient if a bird had dropped it. <laughs> a carrier pigeon. <laughs> Uh, I ended up having to email it to my parents and tell them to bring it with my passport because I didn't have my passport either. So I was just <laughs> praying to God that we didn't get stopped by anybody on the Canadian side. Wow, you were living dangerously. Yeah, <laughs> procrastinator. Procrastination at its best. <laughs> I know. You know those Canadians. They're not very friendly. <laughs> so circling back to one other topic we had started to talk about, <laughs> um, which was the food and hiker hunger. And you were saying, or you had said that it took about three weeks before you started feeling the hunger, the, the all consuming hunger, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It took, I think it was like the third or fourth week that I ended up really, the hunger really started. Um, before that I was eating normal amounts like I would in civilization. It was like three meals a day and every now and then I'd eat a snack if I was really hungry. But by the third or fourth week, it was it was almost like I was continuously eating. It was just a stream of food. Like, what were you what were you snacking on? So my pockets were always full of snack. It didn't matter what kind of snack it was, I would eat it. Um, Cliff bars, uh, gummy bears, sour patch kids, um, Snickers. Yeah, Snickers bars. I actually wasn't really a fan of Snickers until we got into the Sierra. <laughs> As weird as that is, I did not. Any kind of chocolate wasn't that appealing in the desert, mostly because it was melted when you tried to yeah. eat it. Well, the chocolate's not. But I mean, anything that I could buy at a grocery store and fit into a little Ziploc baggie, or I would eat Miller wafers. I started with dried fruit because I was trying to be healthy, but <laughs> that <laughs> that went in the trash like the first couple weeks. <laughs> Just because it didn't. Because I, I guess from what I understand or from talking to people, the struggle becomes both can you eat the quantity of food that you need to, which is most often no, but also mm -hmm. what's what looks appetizing? What will you actually swallow? Yeah, I think this is the biggest issue on trail. I never sent any resupply packages ahead of time because I had... A little research that I had done, people were saying, some people said it's a great plan. Some people said it'll save you money. And then other people said, don't do it because you'll send all of this stuff ahead. And when you get your package, you'll be so disappointed because none of it will sound appealing. 
it's all stuff you've eaten before. You buy in bulk to save money. And so you send all the same things ahead. And after a week of eating something, you don't want it anymore. And then it comes in the next box. And I mean, it makes a great surprise for somebody else who gets it in a hiker <laughs> box, but it's not going to do you any good. So anything healthy by the first couple of weeks, I got rid of. Um, the only thing healthy that I was still carrying was I would carry avocados out. And that was really good in a wrap, a tortilla wrap with tuna and cheese. That was pretty much the healthiest thing that I ate on trail was the avocado and the tuna. <laughs> Is there anything that you're completely sick of and, and can't even look at anymore? Um, <laughs> there's so many things. It's <laughs> <laughs> like all the things. I think the first food I really got sick of was the potatoes. And I, I think every hiker will tell you that those Idahoan potatoes are good for the first week and you will never eat them again. They're just really plain and the consistency is just not appetizing. And oh, I think that was the first food. The second food was ramen. I <laughs> ate ramen. <laughs> I those ate are the ramen staples. the first. Yeah. That's what they tell you. <laughs> I ate ramen the first three weeks on trail. And then I ate some in the Sierra when I had my stove. And then I went through a period where I tried to cold soak ramen. And that was unbearable. That was probably the grossest thing I've ever eaten. <laughs> <laughs> so I got nixed. Um, and I never ate ramen after the cold ramen thing. I, I couldn't touch it again. It was tainted. Yeah, it was totally dainted. It was so gross. And then oatmeal was another one. After, I think I ate oatmeal all the way through like Northern California. And at that point I had, that was out the window too. I switched to Pop-Tarts or anything with sugar that tasted, that tasted good. Your foods kind of all get jumbled up. Like instead of you eat breakfast for dinner and dinner for breakfast and lunch for breakfast and there's not really a breakfast, lunch, and dinner anymore. It just becomes whatever sounds good at that moment you eat. I, I've heard people basically say some version of a, of a tortilla with salami or sausage or tuna or like, but it's essentially a tortilla something. Mm -hmm. Particularly if you're cold yeah. soaking or if you're, if you're going stoveless. Yeah, the cold soaking thing is not for me. Um there was actually a girl in our group who cold soaked the entire time. And I don't know how she did it, but she would cold soak rice. She would cold soak ramen. She would cold soak ramen and tuna. And oh, I don't know how she did it. I think for me, I rather just eat dry food. Mm -hmm. I, if I'm not going to carry a stove and I'm not going to have a hot meal, I rather just do the wraps. The wraps were really good. It's kind of gross how your perception of food changes too. In civilization, I would never eat salami or cheese that had been outside of a refrigerator for more than two days for more than a day like that. That's just not okay. If the cheese <laughs> is sweating, I'm not eating it, <laughs> but, but. but on trail on trail, your cheese would be like mush and you'd still be eating it. And it was still good. <laughs> you have a new respect for cheese. Don't you? <laughs> yeah. Cheese was like the best part of my day. <laughs> Yeah, you definitely you definitely get used to eating things that you never would eat. And the same thing with dropping food. I would never eat something off the ground that has dirt on it. And if you dropped food, it was like gold. You were not going to leave that behind. <laughs> Anything that dropped on the floor, you'd 
blow it off or shake it a little bit and keep moving. Was there ever a moment, I mean, was there ever a moment where it's almost like you're outside of yourself watching yourself pick food up off the ground, shake it off or dust it off and eat it. Or like you're looking at this cheese that is just melted and gooey and whatever. And and you're like, I can't believe that I'm eating this and yet I am eating this and, and I'm happy about it. (laughs) There are so many times like that. Um, I think the first time was the time we slept in the bathroom in the porta potty. (laughs) (laughs) Porta potty. Wow. Okay. (laughs) Well, the little portable, the like trailhead bathroom, mm-hmm. not technically a porta potty, but probably as dirty as a porta potty. I think that was the first time where I was like, "Wow, I'm really gonna do this right now." Uh, <laughs> I would have, yeah, I would have never done that before. Bathrooms, especially public bathrooms, that <laughs> hiking trailheads are not the cleanest. Um, what? <laughs> You're kidding. <laughs> but it was really comfortable and really warm. <laughs> and there's a lot to be said for that. Yeah. What was, what did you find from coming from that perspective? What was the craziest thing you saw yourself doing out there? And you're just like, I cannot believe that I am doing this and I'm doing it gladly. Was it the porta potty or was it something else? Uh, oh, there were so many times where I felt that way. Like, what am I doing? Oh, there's one time I have in my mind, but I really don't. <laughs> it's not <laughs> good. I want to huh? go there. <laughs> okay. Oh, um, there was a point in the Sierra where, so when you go into the Sierra, you run into a ranger at Kennedy Meadows that tells you there's a no trace left behind in the snow. You don't poop on the snow. You're supposed to pack it out. That's or what you're supposed dirt, to do. Basically. Yeah, but. Yeah, we're flying dirt. So we ended up getting caught on a, in a snowstorm at the top of Whitney um, and didn't end up summiting. We ended up running off of Whitney at like 4 p.m. And we went back to our tents and it just dumped snow all night long. We woke up to a foot and a half to two feet of fresh snow. And there was a point where I really had to go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I had heard a story from one of the guys that was in our group who had climbed Whitney a couple years before, and he was talking about a wag bag and how he ended up having nowhere to put his wag bag. So he put his wag bag in his bear canister that was empty and carried it down off the mountain. So having heard this story, I planted a seed. (laughs) Yeah. I'll never forgive him for this either. (laughs) (laughs) It's all his fault. (laughs) Exactly. 100%. So I was trying to be leave no trace, eco-friendly. And I woke up that morning, two feet of fresh snow. There was no dirt anywhere. There was no dirt that was going to be found in the next 50 to 60 miles. Like until we got out of those mountains, there was Mm -hmm. no dirt. And... So I ended up getting a plastic bag, a Ziploc bag, and I really had to go. So I ended up going in this bag and double bagging it and putting it in my backpack. And the whole time, though, it was one of those things where it was, I cannot believe that I'm freaking doing this right now. Like, what did my life come to? <laughs> I'm using a bag to go to the bathroom. 
I'm and I'm carrying like, it with me. <laughs> that was the worst part. That was by far the worst part. Is it one of those moments that make you question your choices? Oh, 100%. I'm questioning my choices, my sanity, all of it. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh, that is that is pretty brilliant, though. It's definitely not my finest moment. I, I would I would contradict that. I think it probably was your <laughs> finest moment. You were you were steadfastly leave no trace. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's terrible because the same guy that told me the story ended up pooping on the snow. Like not even uh, four hours later, five hours later, and here I am with my poop in my backpack. Uh, I hope that you gave him hell. <laughs> I did. <laughs> he didn't live that one down for a few weeks. Perfect. Did Did you have any family or friends like visiting you as you went up the trail at all? Um. So I did actually. I my dad actually. So me and my brother started together. Mm-hmm. We did about two hundred and fifty miles together. We reached Big Bear. I think it's a tenth of the trail, and we decided to go our own separate ways. Um, we weren't arguing. We weren't. We just had different paces. We, he liked to sit and hang out by the lake and just chill. And I was more about, I want to reach Canada by this day. And in order to reach it by this day, I have to do this many miles. So we just had different paces, different needs, different wants. Did he finish? Yeah, he actually did. He finished about a month after me. He took his time, hung out in some towns along the way. Um, he actually took like five days on trail, like five zeros on trail at one point. I think he was living the life on out there. Trail. Wow. Yeah. I don't know what he did for five days, but he, he did it. So he watched the chipmunks, the marmots. <laughs> yeah. It's better um, than any TV show you're going to find. Yeah. There it is. <laughs> um, so I started with him and then I actually had my dad. My dad was following us. He had just bought a new little teardrop trailer that he was super excited about. So he followed us on trail. And the first time I saw him was in Kennedy Meadows. And then he kind of followed us up trail. And it worked out really well because because of all the snow in the Sierra, there was nobody going up there to hike. There were no day hikers. And a lot of those roads are three, four, five miles. It might even be further than that up in the mountains and these curvy roads that nobody drives up unless you're hiking. They're kind of out of the way. So it worked out really well. We never had problems hitching down. My dad was always there to meet us in the Sierra. <laughs> you <laughs> didn't actually really hitchhike, did you? Um, Not in the Sierra. We hitchhiked a lot in the desert. We hitchhiked okay. a lot in Oregon and a lot in Washington. So your dad stopped following you at some point or, or stopped tracking you? Yeah, so they have a house. They live in Northern California, actually near Bernie Falls. And so that was the last time that I saw them. I saw them in Bernie Falls and I actually saw them in Ashland for a day. And then he stopped following us after that until Canada. Yeah. It was really cool. What was their response to the adventures of Jade? Um, I think at first they were, well, at first they were, so they knew me and my brother were going together. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of their security blanket is that I wouldn't be alone. Right. When we decided in Big Bear that we were separating, my parents were not that happy. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> they're a little apprehensive to have me hike by myself. I think the fear is like as a girl going out there by yourself kind of seems like not the wisest idea just because you run into hikers and you hitchhike by yourself and you can't by yourself. And I mean, it's no, it's a little bit different for girls and guys, but at the same time, the trail's so safe and there's so many people on it that you're never really alone. Right. So I think, I think they kind of got used to the idea and I had a Garmin, I had a Garmin in reach that they could always reach me on. It was always on every night I'd send them my location. So they always knew where I was. And in the morning I tell them how many miles I planned on, what campsite I was going to go to. So they always knew I was constantly updating them. They knew what was going on, where I was, where I was going. Were you only hiking with your brother at that point or had you developed a, a tramway around you? Uh, at the beginning we met a tramway probably like the fourth or fifth day in. Okay. And we hiked with them until Mount San Jacinto. And then we decided to, after San Jacinto, I think they did 11 miles that day. And me and my brother both decided, like, we got to get some more miles in every day. We can't be doing these, these small days anymore. So we ended up <laughs> That's continuing ironic. hiking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We ended up, um, we kept hiking that day and and ended up kind of doing our own thing. And we ran into different people along the way and camped with different people the next few days. And then we ended up splitting in Big Bear. Yeah. And when did you meet up with the your tramley that you went into the Sierras with and, and it seems like hiked kind of the rest of the trail with? Um, so I met them. So one of the guys I actually met, he was part of my first tramley. Okay. So I met him back, I think the second day was the first day I met him. So we, did, we hiked on and off again throughout that period leading up to the Sierra. And then I ended up meeting... Everyone else around Baden Powell. Uh, Baden Powell, I had hiked with a couple people from like the Wrightwood area. And then into Baden Powell, we met a couple other guys that were hiking together. And we kind of just kept leapfrogging different groups. And then by the time we had reached Kennedy Meadows, we had formed a group that was pretty solid and we all trusted each other. And all of us wanted to go into this year. We didn't want to skip or flip flop or. Mm-hmm. We just wanted to go straight through. So it kind of worked out. We all kind of had the same goals, same plan. And uh, and we all got along really well. They, we had people in our group that were the humor. We had people that were the mental support, the encouraging people. So it kind of just worked out. Did any of you guys have any snow and, and pass experience? So one of the guys that was in our group, actually hiked the JMT in 2017, the last big snow year. So he was kind of the, the leader going into the Sierra because he had the most experience. A lot of our group had never been in the snow and never done snow hiking. So it was kind of like a mixed a mixed thing. There were a couple of people that had mountaineered a couple of times, but for the most part, we were all pretty novice. And how was that for you, heading into that and then... I mean, you're, you're doing pass after pass after pass. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely scary. There were a lot of moments that were really scary. Um, we had a couple of people self-arrest a few times. Um, yeah, we got stuck in a couple of storms, which was super scary because 
you can't see where you're going. You don't know what's below you. You don't know what's above you. It's just white. And you're saying that your phone and your GPS last long enough to get you to where you're supposed to be, or at least down off the ridge. So there were definitely scary moments. There were, but I mean, I think, I don't think any of us, I think a lot of us were kind of, we were all really stubborn. We were a really stubborn group, dead set on going straight through. There was no question about it. We had been told by a lot of people that it wasn't possible, that it wasn't smart. There was a lot of fear mongering when we got to Kennedy Meadows, but there were still people going in. Yeah. We had heard of people. Yeah, no, definitely not. There were people ahead of us. There were people coming out of Tier Sarge. I even heard that there was a lady that had gone in a month ahead of us in April and she apparently made it all the way through. So there were definitely people that had done it in more difficult terrain and more difficult weather. So we we were just dead set on going through and we kind of made the best of it. I think part of it was that because all of us didn't have a ton of experience in it, we were kind of naive a little bit to what could have gone wrong. Thankfully, nothing did. But I mean, none of us had thought about avalanches until I think the PCTA had posted a, a they had sent out a warning on Instagram. They had posted something about avalanches and avalanche warnings in the backcountry and I think that was the first time and at that point we were in Mammoth and that was the first time that all of us kind of realized like hey it's a lot more dangerous than than we think right it's not just snowstorms it's not just yeah there's a lot of other things that can go wrong but but at least you had I mean five slash six people is a is a solid group yeah yeah and I think a lot of the security came from that because yeah. Because we were such a big group, it, it wasn't like something was going to happen to all of us. Or mm-hmm. The chances of something happening to all of us were a little bit lower. Um, and we all had Garmin's. I think we had three or four Garmin's in our group. And so, and we all stuck together. We never left each other. We always stayed in one little bubble. We always hiked up and hiked down everything together. We always saw everybody it was never like somebody got left behind. Um, we always had visual on every single person in our group. Nice. So, Smart. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was definitely a little bit scary though. Oh yeah. How were the rivers? So we got really lucky. Um, because we went into the Sierra so early, we went in the second, like we went in mother's day, which is May 12th. And because we went in so early, everything was still frozen when we went through. So even going through Yosemite where all the river crossings were and all the the, the river crossings that the hikers had died in in previous years, we actually didn't have to cross any of those rivers. There were still snow bridges. So we just walked over a majority of them. There were a couple that we had to get into and it was miserable. It was yes. a thousand times worse than snowstorms. I saw one of those pictures and I granted I've seen other people fjording s- streams in the Sierras and, and for whatever reason, looking at that picture of you guys with the snow on the ground, crossing the river in shorts, all of a sudden I was like, oh my God, that is freezing. <laughs> it was so cold. And it's not like, like the snowstorms were cold, yes, but it's not the same thing. But the snowstorms mm. don't cover your body. It's not. Yeah surrounding your body for a period of time 
But when you get in the water and you cross the water, it takes so much longer than what you would realize in, to get across. And it's so much scarier than being in a snowstorm. And you just get out and you can still feel. It's like you've never, you never got out of the water. Your legs yeah. are just like almost on fire. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're, I, I can't even describe it. Yeah, no, I totally know what you're talking about. I, I, I mean, okay, I'm a wimp. I'll admit this. But, you know, going into the ocean down here, the Pacific Ocean down here, which is in LA, you know, it's not as cold as those rivers by any stretch. But in the spring and winter, you have that. It just bone chill. Mm-hmm. It's definitely cold down there. <laughs> it's definitely cold. I don't, I, I honestly, we would see... So when we went through, um, there were groups behind us that we knew and that would ask us questions and ask for advice or to ask about river crossings or snow or whatever. And we would look at their Instagram stories or their vlogs or whatever it was. And it was a thousand times worse. Just a few weeks later, it was crazy how much the water had or the snow had melted and how high the water was at the point that they went through. There was one there's this uh, pass that you go over, Silver Pass, and it has like a waterfall that comes down the middle of it. And when we went through, it was just a snow bridge. You could see the waterfall on the backside, but we just walked right over the waterfall over a snow bridge and it was no big deal. And not even a week and a half later, we were looking at one of the guys that was just a week and a half behind us. He wasn't far behind us. And it was just the water was knocking over hikers trying to get across it. There was no longer any snow. It was just water pummeling these hikers trying to cross it. So I don't, I honestly don't know how they all did it because to be in the snow and then to be wet and to be freezing in freezing cold water and there's no, I mean, you have clothes in the Sierra, but a lot of the time you just layer your clothes. It's not like you have tons of clothes to switch out and to let the other ones dry. They're just, they had to have been wet, which just, I don't know how they did it. Yeah. No, uh, hats off to everybody who went through the Sierras this year. Really, <laughs> it's, it was pretty incredible. Yeah. I don't know how they did it. How did you like going into the Sierras, you know, you, you had dropped all of your stuff, all of your extra clothes, all of that stuff. And now you're heading into the Sierras and you've got to kind of strategically pack weight back on again. Mm-hmm. At that point, I didn't even care. (laughs) (laughs) It it was ridiculous how much I didn't care. I added stuff that I didn't have before. I had, I took a pillow and not just like a little pillow, but I had a climate pillow that had like a fur lining on the outside. (laughs) (laughs) It definitely wasn't light. I felt like if I was going to be miserable in the snow, I was going to at least be comfortable or a little bit more comfortable than I would be without all the extra gear. So I carried everything. I had a Thermarest uh, accordion pad, and I took that. I took a climate sleeping pad, which is not that. It's not a very light pad. I think it's almost like a pound and a half. It's not more than that. But I would double layer those. I added a sleeping bag liner. I added my thermals and an extra pair of pants, an extra pair of thermal pants. I would sleep with my thermal top and then I'd put um, another shirt on top of it and then put my puffy on and then put my rain jacket on. I added a hat. 
like a beanie, mm-hmm. added added a pair of gloves and actually had to add another pair of gloves later on because it just, the one pair wasn't cutting it. Almost every single one of us added two pairs. So all of us ended up with two pairs of gloves. <laughs> <laughs> and all of us ended up with sleeping bag liners. What was your sleeping bag? Um, so I actually kept the same sleeping bag the entire time. Um, okay. I started with a Marmot 15 degree helium bag and it was amazing. In the desert, it was it was warm enough that I didn't need a sleeping bag liner. This the desert was a little bit colder this year, and mm-hmm. when when the, the when it like when night came, it was really cold. The temperature definitely dropped at night. And then in the Sierra, I just I used the same sleeping bag, but added a sleeping bag liner, a Cedar Summit sleeping bag liner. And then when we got to Oregon and Washington, when it got a little bit warmer, I would just unzip my whole sleeping bag and use it as like a blanket or a quilt. Was the sleeping bag liner, was the addition of the sleeping bag liner sufficient in the Sierras to keep you warm at night with all the yeah. other clothes on? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I would have survived without the clothes, but, but yeah, it was definitely warm enough. A lot of our group had gone in with just their sleeping bags. And the first time we exited at Kearsarge Pass, which is the first part you could get out of, the first section you could get out of the Sierra, um, almost every single person bought a sleeping bag liner. So it's definitely one of those things. I would totally recommend it. If you're going to be in the yeah. snow, sleeping on snow, I, I think it adds. Because when you sleep in just a sleeping bag, all sleeping bags are kind of made out of that material that gets cold when it mm-hmm. hits the air. Yeah. And so when you move that cold, it freezes your sleeping bag, essentially. Not really, but it feels like it. So adding that sleeping bag liner kind of added like a, a cotton between you. So it wasn't like you were sleeping on that cold material but instead on like a cotton, almost like a cotton sheet. I've heard that from people that, that the addition of that, that liner is like a godsend. Mm-hmm. But I, and I've also heard from people that the addition of a liner, even a lightweight liner is great because it also can keep your sleeping bag cleaner. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that too. <laughs> Not your experience per se. Yeah, but... I definitely didn't use it for that. <laughs> How was hitchhiking for you? Did you ever have to hitchhike by yourself? Um, I actually didn't. I never hitchhiked alone. I think that was like my biggest fear when hiking alone is that when I got to the edge, as as crazy as it sounds, civilization is so much scarier than the woods. You wouldn't think so, but I feel like people are a lot more sketchy than anything you'll come across in the woods. Yeah. Certain people, not everyone, but there are definitely those, those people out in civilization. So I just tried to stay in groups. When we got to, or when we were getting close to a town that I knew I was going to go into, I'd attach myself to somebody. It didn't matter who. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that I wasn't alone. You were suddenly we their trail wife? Yeah. <laughs> uh, we definitely had a couple times where it was a little bit sketchy. We had what appeared to be a tweaker pick us up at one point, and... Um, I think all of us, there was, and it wasn't alone. I was with another girl and two other guys, but all of us were a little bit uncomfortable in that car. So, I mean, this is one of those things that you're going to come across people that aren't exactly, don't exactly look the safest or don't make you feel the safest. But I think if you're in a group, most of the time you'll be fine or all the time you'll be fine. We never had any issues. We felt uncomfortable a couple of times, but no serious issues. Okay. Would you feel comfortable hitchhiking by yourself at all? 
Um, I actually lied. I did hitchhike by myself. But um, I just realized that. I mean, it wasn't like an intentional, I didn't stand on the side of the road and hitchhike. I actually was trying to hitchhike by myself. So I did hitchhike by myself. I ended up staying in town a little bit longer than the guy that I was supposed to hike out with. He hiked out earlier in the day. And so I, it was in Big Bear. That was when I left my brother. So that was the time that I was by myself. And I hitched, I tried to hitchhike for like mm, probably 10 minutes. And after 10 minutes of standing on the side, I was like, I'm going to go eat something. I'll sit inside of a restaurant until I figure out what I'm going to do. So I ended up going into El Playa Loco and this lady started talking to me because your backpack goes everywhere with you. Um, and she ended up giving me a ride. But I think, I think you kind of know who you can trust and who you can't trust. She was super nice. And I mean, I've, I've met a lot of women and men both that were really, really nice. And you just know. You know when someone's being genuine and and when they're not. I feel like your gut just tells you, yes, it's safe, or no, don't do it. You kind of get like that heebie-jeebie vibe from people you can't trust. So I think I would hitchhike by myself. I think it's just, it's one of those things that you have to learn to say no thank you if you don't feel comfortable, and that's what I have trouble with, is backing out of a ride here and standing on the side. And if somebody pulls over and I didn't feel comfortable... I don't know that. I think it would be difficult for me to say, oh, never mind, just kidding. I don't need a ride right. if I didn't feel comfortable. So I think that's, that's where my issue lied. It wasn't so much with trusting people because there's a lot of really, really nice people out there and a lot of people that know the PCT and know PCTers and will give you rides and are almost a part of the community. I think it's pretty safe. I just think you have to know your limits and trust your gut. Yeah. And know what your fatal flaw is. I I can't say no if they stop. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. What was your trail name? <laughs> My trail name was Dark Jader. <laughs> and would they literally say that whole thing or would they, did they abbreviate it? No, a lot of the times I got called Jader because it was, it was okay. just easier than Dark Jader. Yeah, it, most of the time it was Jader. And I'm trying to think what else. For a little bit, they called me Red Lantern. Um, Red Lantern. A, yeah, I had a couple like trail names that kind of came and went. The Red Lantern came in the Sierras because I was always in the back. <laughs> 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 One of the guys told me a story about, I don't know, some bike ride. And the very last bike in the race has a Red Lantern to not let them know that everyone else is safe and ahead of him. Uh-huh. So then they started calling me Red Lantern because I was always in the back making sure everyone was safe and I had a red jacket and that stuck for a while, but I ended the up nursing you, the caretaker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wasn't always the best thing though. How so? I don't know. I think being in the back, being the caretaker, I don't know that everybody, uh, I kind of felt like sometimes, sometimes the, the red lantern was not forgotten, but not everybody always turned around to like, make sure the last person was still there. Mm-hmm. So it was just kind of like learning to speak up and be like, okay, guys, you have to wait for me or slow down or give me a second or whatever it was, or I need to fix my crampon, whatever it was at the time. It was just learning to be vocal and kind of make sure that everybody was sticking together. How was that for you? Or, or maybe I should say, how long did it take you to find that voice? Um, it took me a while. It was probably the first 
three weeks in the Sierra that I kind of stayed quiet and kind of let things. And I mean, two, we had two groups that had kind of converged right before the Sierra and we made one big group going into the Sierra. So I think part of the issue was that we all hadn't been together for a, a long enough time to form those bonds. So it kind of took a couple of weeks to get used to the people that we weren't we weren't used to being around. The the two families were kind of getting to know each other and forming new bonds and so but it took me a few weeks. It took me a few weeks to I think it took me a few weeks to kind of get sick of being by myself and being like, Hey, you guys need to wait for me <laughs> I think that's what it boils down to. I mean, you try to be polite and like I don't know, I'm kind of a pushover when it comes to that stuff. I'm not I'm not as vocal or as upfront about that stuff, probably not as upfront as I should be. Um, but it was definitely a learning experience. I learned a lot about myself. I learned to speak up for myself and kind of put my foot down. What do you think the biggest lesson you learned about yourself was out there? Um, I think it was about the importance of things. I think the way I grew up and the people that I was around growing up, um, I went to a private school and just grew up in a different environment. I think like growing up, it was materialistic, like what you have, what, what kind of car you drive, um, what kind of makeup you wear, what kind of like name brand clothing, name brand, whatever. It was all about show and what you have and not so much about, relationships and experiences and I think the thing that I learned the most on trail was what's important to me I think it just puts things in perspective there's a lot of things that I found important going on to trail when I started the trail that when I ended the trail they were no longer important to me relationships were more important I had a lot of time to think out there too <laughs> I've heard um, that <laughs> yeah little bit more than I would have liked but um but I think it was good it gave me time to reflect on certain relationships with family members and it gave me time to reflect on how to fix certain things and certain relationships I don't know it's just I think the biggest thing I learned about myself is is what's important to me and what I want to be important to me later on and what I want my life to look like later on and of those things what what was the most surprising to you about those things that you redefined as being important? Um, so I, I, I have <laughs> a somewhat, uh, somewhat strained relationship with one of my little brothers, not the one that was on trail with me, mm -hmm. with my other brother. And I don't know. I think it just puts things in perspective before I would have felt and thought about things a certain way was very, it was more logical than, than any kind of like emotional or understanding, I guess, I guess it could have been like a little bit hard to him. Mm -hmm. And so I think being on trail and having time to reflect and think, and I mean, you meet so many people on trail and you learn a lot about people really quickly and a lot about their stories and a lot about, their families and their problems and it's just you it just it, you form relationships very quickly and get to the the center of people very quickly and so I think hearing everyone's stories and hearing about people's relationships and 
I think it just kind of put things in perspective and it gave me a different view on it and it changed my feelings mm. towards my little brother. So I think that was the biggest thing that it changed. It definitely gave me more compassion, more understanding, just a, a whole different perspective than how I felt before. Possibly one of the most valuable things you got from the trail. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely was. It was something hard. It was definitely hard to, <laughs> there always to think are. about it. Yeah. And to reflect. And I, I mean, on trail, you realize things about yourself that, that you wouldn't otherwise realize in civilization, things about yourself that are maybe not the best or things that you could change or things you could improve on. Um, when I, which I mean, in everyday life, I don't necessarily know that I'd sit there and reflect about those things. Yeah. There's too many distractions. Yeah. Yeah. When you have nothing else to do, but think. <laughs> yeah. What was your, what would you consider or what is the kind of the first thing to, that comes to mind as one of your worst moments on trail or toughest oh, moments on trail? I had a couple, I had a couple where I really had like mental breakdowns and a couple where I really wanted to get off trail. And I was like, I've had it with this shit. This is not meant for me. Um, <laughs> I think the first one was in the Sierras. There was one of the days that we got stuck in a snowstorm and it was just miserable. My ears felt like they were going to break off. Everything was wet and cold. And we had gotten up into the shelter on Muir Pass and it was just miserable. Inside the shelter was freezing. It was snowing outside. There was like nowhere warm to hide. And I think at that point I was just, I had had it. It was so cold. Um, my feet were cold. My toes were cold. Waking up every morning to frozen shoes. Uh, me and another girl that I hiked with, most of the PCT actually, we'd wake up and it was almost like a like a, a funny thing at one point because we'd both wake up. We'd both try to get our sh- our feet into our frozen shoes with our frozen socks on and it would just you could see both of us like you'd look over and she'd be crying and she'd look at me and I was crying trying to get our feet (laughs) into these frozen shoes Um, and it was like every single day if you didn't sleep with your shoes they were going to be frozen um so I think the Sierras really broke us down but then it really it really it formed bonds that I don't think would have been formed otherwise we kind of all saw each other at our worst and at our best and we all saw each other angry, sad, hurt, like every emotion you could possibly imagine came out in this era. We saw people, the men in our group would scream at the top of their lungs out of Mm. frustration. The girls were crying out of frustration. Like it was just, and it's funny because every group that you talk to, we ran into a girl later on that had hiked a couple weeks behind us and she had the exact same experience. Like she, she told us a story that she was coming down the mountain with all the, because she was in a group of boys and she just had snot running down and tears <laughs> running down and, and she was just bawling. And I think everybody kind of had that moment in this year, this year. Like, I'm sure it happens every, every yeah. year. So that was like, that was probably one of the hardest times. And then going into Oregon, I'm sure you've heard about the mosquitoes in Oregon. Yep. I don't even know how it's possible for there to be that many mosquitoes. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. But going into Oregon, I didn't think it was going to be that bad. I had heard stories before, and because I'm from Southern Oregon, 
a lot of coworkers had warned me and I was like, whatever, you guys don't know. Like I've been on the trail for this long. It'll be fine. And it was just miserable, like beyond anything um, that I would have ever imagined. We were running and you couldn't stop for lunch. You couldn't stop for snacks. You couldn't stop. You stopped to pee or go to the bathroom or poop like you were a goner. They were going to get you. And it didn't matter what you put on. You could put on 100% beet. You could put on the eucalyptus stuff, the organic stuff. It didn't matter what you put on. They'd still eat you alive. It was just miserable. And I remember getting to the top of this peak and I actually was hiking alone and I had had like a terrible day. I woke up late, ended up hiking by myself and I got lost. And by the time I had gotten to the top of the peak, I called my parents because it was the first place I had reception. And I just told them, I was like, come get me. I'm getting off this mountain. I don't care what next town I come into. Like that's where I'm getting off the trail. And, um, they kind of talked me off the ledge, but it was, it was just my like breaking point in Oregon. I just, I couldn't do it anymore. So what kept you on trail at that point or at that moment? Um, well, my mom kind of, my mom kind of talked me off the ledge. She said she was going to fly in Chipotle for me in a <laughs> helicopter. <laughs> I mean, she wasn't going to, it was totally unrealistic, but it made me feel a little bit better. Um, and I think, I think it's just, I don't know. I think, some of it's like emotional in that moment. You just want to get off the trail right now. And you don't care what, what, what the consequences are, how you'll feel later. You don't care. Like just get me off the trail. But I think after you have time to like kind of cool off and just walk and take time to yourself and kind of evaluate why you're feeling that way, you kind of talk yourself down and it becomes a, okay, I have started this thing. I'm going to finish. I only have this many miles left. That's like this many days. You can do this. Like just keep walking. And then you run into your family or whoever you're camping with that night and they talk about their experiences and they talk about their stories or how they fell or how they felt that day. And a lot of the times you guys had similar emotions. And so it kind of helped to realize you weren't alone. The, the, the emotion, the struggle that you're having is not, it's not just you. Yeah, exactly. You're not crazy. You're not, <laughs> <laughs> you're not being over, like you're not overreacting. Everyone feels this way. What was, what is one of your best or favorite memories from the trail? Hmm. My best or favorite memory from the trail. Um, I had a lot of them. Um, Trying to think of a particular one. What, what, what is the first thing that comes to mind? Honestly, I don't know that I have a best or favorite moment on the trail. I think I just, I had a favorite like group of people that I was around my family in the Sierra and even my family in Oregon and Washington were really awesome. I don't know. I, we were always laughing. Like almost everything was always a joke. It was, it was always, I don't know. It was always like, they always kept my mind off of the terrible aspects of the hike. And there wasn't always terrible aspects, but when there were, they were able to kind of make a joke of it and kind of make it seem a little less, intimidating or a little less severe we had a lot of funny moments one of the girls we were with we were all glissading down um one of the passes in the sierra and she actually ended up yard sale and she went over this hill super fast and it was really steep and tumbled all the way down yard sales everywhere all of her stuff was <laughs> everywhere <laughs> um, and thankfully she wasn't hurt 
but we just had lots of moments like that where <laughs> it was just we all did crazy things and I don't know it was just a really good group of people that we were constantly laughing I don't know if I had a favorite moment there were lots of good moments though lots of really good moments I uh I hear tell that you're looking at uh the AT for 2020 is that still on the table I am. <laughs> You've I caught the bug. So. <laughs> yeah, I definitely have. I don't necessarily know that I would I would have hiked the AT if I hadn't heard of the Triple Crown. Because everyone oh, says you either hike... Oh, you're going for it, huh? <laughs> everyone says you hike one or three. You can't just hike two. But if I was going to hike two, I probably wouldn't hike the AT. I'd probably hike the CDT. Yeah. To be totally honest. So the AT is just kind of in there you gotta hike the AT if you're gonna hike the CDT <laughs> <laughs> you gotta do your time you gotta do your <laughs> exactly exactly and I mean I've everyone's experience is a little bit different I kind of wish I had started with the AT a lot of the people that hike the PCT and then hike the AT aren't particularly fond of it because you're stuck in a green tunnel and the vistas aren't the same the views and it's the a lot humidity. different yeah yeah and the ticks yeah yeah, yeah I don't know about that <laughs> yeah, you and your bug thing are gonna have to have a conversation <laughs> oh gosh I'm be showering uh, in heat yeah pretty much pretty much but uh yeah. I I love that you know even as much as you were ready to get off the trail when you got off the trail um the, the trail now seems to be in your blood. So so you're gonna have to you're gonna have to figure out your twenty eight and twenty nine, I have a feeling, around how the trail's gonna impact your life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely at this point I kind of feel like everything else is on hold. And I mean if it's meant to happen, it'll happen. But as of now, I've got a plan. So Nice. We'll see. <laughs> it's it's good to have a plan. Mm-hmm, it's it's good. It's good to go after the big stuff, the hard stuff. Yeah, yeah. Are you? Do you have any plans to hike any other trails? Or are you just starting with the PCT? I'm starting with the PCT. I and I fully realize, and you will laugh at me for saying this because I'm sure that you were probably in the same place when you started the PCT. Um, I have no it's interest in the triple crown i have no interest in the other trails at this moment but no, i, totally I am self-aware self enough to know that that can change <laughs> mm-hmm. but yeah I, I think i'm like you in that at this moment the at doesn't sound that appealing right the cdt however does and actually the ta down in new zealand sounds really interesting well, I've heard that one's amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's an excuse to walk from tip to tip of New Zealand. So, like, <laughs> why the hell not? <laughs> you can see everything. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but, yeah, I that's kind of where I am right now. I actually had somebody on trail, one of the other hikers, tell me something. And I kind of I kind of sat there and had to think about, do I really want to do the AT? Because he had hiked the CDT and the PCT, but not the AT. And I asked him if he was going to do the triple crown. And his response was, no, I don't want to hike the AT. I rather spend money and my time hiking something that I'll truly enjoy. 
So, I mean, they kind of, I totally get it. I totally understand why you choose to do the other one instead. It's beautiful down there. Yeah. No, it's interesting. I have a feeling that will be another uh, self self uh, analysis for you. <laughs> and, and conversing, or at the conversation about, do I want to hike the AT? Do I not want to hike the AT? Yeah. What is it? What does the Triple Crown mean to me? Is it really the Triple Crown I'm going for? What else am I going for? Like, what else is it supposed to mean to me? Why am I doing all of those good, fun questions, Jane? Right, all those <laughs> self-reflecting questions. Yep. <laughs> Got exactly. a lot of hiking to do. <laughs> uh, apparently. Yeah, you, you need some time on the trail to, to do some reflecting. <laughs> is there anything that we haven't talked about that you feel like we should? Hmm. I don't know. I don't think so. I think you've pretty much covered it all. I think the biggest thing, though, with hiking is, like, just being flexible with through hiking especially like you can't you can't plan for it all the weather changes stuff breaks stuff pops like you just kind of have to be flexible and roll with the punches I think that's like the biggest thing that I took away from the trail but I, I had a lot of days where I planned to go so far planned to do certain things or planned to do plan to pack for certain whatever and I think a lot of a lot of through hiking is just rolling with the punches a lot of things change you run into obstacles that you weren't prepared for or didn't expect and or or don't feel like going certain mileages sometimes um some days so I think just being flexible and learning to kind of accept those things and not be too hard on yourself because I mean you'll have good days and bad days I had days where I hiked 40 miles and then I had days where I was like I'm not going any further than 24 miles today and <laughs> I mean, you just kind of have to be flexible and know your body and know yourself and kind of be forgiving, I guess, of yourself. Like things happen. Yeah. You're not going to, you're not going to feel great all the time. So. Right. You, you have to be patient with yourself. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I think that's hard for a lot of people. I think we're our number one critic. Mm-hmm. And so. Absolutely. Like to everyone else, they're like, holy crap, you're doing 25 miles a day. And to you. It doesn't seem like that much, but it is a big deal. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of have a marathon. To, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And why does it sound so much more grand when you say a marathon versus 25 miles? It does. It sounds a lot better. A marathon. I did a marathon today. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess it's sort of like when you say I did a marathon, people have a connotation for what a marathon means and how much people train for a marathon and how dedicated Mm -hmm. and all of that stuff versus, yeah, I just went out and ripped out 25 miles today and tomorrow I'm going to do 30. And it just doesn't sound so prestigious. (laughs) (laughs) I think if somebody told me they did 25 miles before, I would have been like, girl, you're crazy. Like something's wrong with you if you did 25 miles today. (laughs) And now you're like, why didn't you go 40? Yeah. I mean, and I I still think 25 miles is a really long way. Even 12 miles is a long way. Um, I haven't been hiking in a couple months and we tried to climb a mountain yesterday and it was just, it was brutal. <laughs> it was brutal. <laughs> How and so now, the legs go. Yeah, but now 11 miles seems really long. But lucky for you, the body remembers. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I would have made it that far, but like on a normal Normally, I probably wouldn't have made it that far under my physical 
shape right now, but yeah, the body does remember. And I've, I've heard that from other through hikers that when you do your second through hike, your body gets into the, the groove and the grind of things a lot quicker than the first to go around. Yeah, it so, seems to. Yeah. Oh, I'll hold on to that hope for next year. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> Fingers crossed the rumors are true. Yeah. So if people want to follow your continuing adventures, where can they do that? Where should they do that? So right now I only have an Instagram. Um, my Instagram handle is PB underscore N underscore Jade. Or if you type in Darth Jader, I'm pretty sure it comes up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> pretty sure I'm the only Darth Jader on Instagram. Probably. But yeah, that's it right now. I don't, I don't blog. I'm a terrible writer. I, and I don't have the patience to write. I've never, it's not something I enjoy. And I've never been brave enough to vlog or do anything like that. So as of now, it's just Instagram. <laughs> okay. Well, people, people will follow you on Instagram and see, see what happens with the ongoing adventure of which trail next? Is it really the AT? <laughs> Is it not the AT? Yeah. The kind of self-reflection I get into this summer or this winter. Exactly. The mystery continues. <laughs> Anything I can answer for you? Um, well, no, like professional questions. I just have questions for you. So you're planning oh. on doing the, the PCT, right? Yes. Do you, do you have a start date or a date that you're like, that you want to start? Uh, well, I did um, until about a week ago. Uh, I was looking to start around the same time that kind of you started, like early beginning of April, essentially. Uh-huh. And believe me, I know that the permits open on Tuesday morning, like literally next week. Um, and then, and this is probably more information than you need, but in this last week, I was working on a, on a project or doing some pre, pre, pre planning on a project. And, uh, it looks like it will go literally next summer. And so I've, had to step back for myself and do some self-awareness, self-actualization of my own this past week uh-huh. <laughs> and think about that, the very, the tough question that you had to answer about like, what do I do with my job and do I let this go or do I try to figure out how I can work around it or what does that all look like? Right. And I have 48 hours left to do that in. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm being a little dramatic, I think. But but yeah, I mean I, I was very certain, I was very sure, and, and then in the last week it's suddenly kind of all gotten thrown into array and mm-hmm. and I'm having to really look at what I want, what's important. Am I falling back into bad patterns? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I work in production. Um, okay. So it's a little bit of feast or famine. Right. And I'm so used to when I'm not working, which I haven't been, you know, when the job comes, you take it, you just take it. Uh-huh. Um, and, and so I'm having to really think about that and, and think about the other things and think about what the PCT means and it, what it means to me and why I'm doing it. Right. And, and prioritize. <laughs> those are always so hard. I know. All those decisions. Ugh. And, and I don't think, I, yeah, I don't think I, I 
was saying, and, I, and again, I don't know how much you know about the podcast and, and whatever, but part of the reason, part of my reason for wanting to do this or for doing this is I turn 50 next year. That's so awesome. Um, and so it was sort of this big celebratory, you know, 50th, what can my body still do? You know, it hasn't failed me yet type of thing. Um, oh, you can totally still do it. We ran into yeah. like 70 year olds on the trail. Oh, wow. Nice. It's insane. Yeah. No, but I don't know. That's, that's hard. You can't tell somebody else, like, you should totally do it and leave your job and say no or whatever. Like, you can't, I mean, you can't give advice like that to somebody else. I think you just have to make a decision and do what's best for you. But it is a lot of soul searching. Looks yeah. like you've got some hiking to do, too. <laughs> fair play, Jade. Fair play. <laughs> Yeah. Do you have a um uh Instagram for you? For me personally? Yeah, do you have a personal Instagram? Yeah, I do. Uh it's Egan underscore here. Okay, wait. <laughs> I'm looking it up right now. Okay. Okay, how do you spell that? E G A N. Egan underscore. Okay, yeah. I found it. Okay. Well, I'm looking forward to hopefully seeing pictures and if not, maybe the next year. Yeah. See, when you say it like that, it sounds really sad to not do it and next year. I don't think, I mean, it's, it's a decision that you got to make for yourself. I don't think it, yeah. I don't think it's a sad thing. I mean, it's the hiking through hiking and leaving your job and leaving everything, you know, and I mean, most people can't, you can't keep your house or your apartment or whatever it is. Most people can't afford that. So it's like a big deal and it's not for everybody. It's definitely not for everybody. And it, it just, it may not just, it may just not be the right time. But I mean, that goes back to deciding what you want yeah. and what, what's important and your priorities and. Yeah. All of the things. Well, and speaking of all of the things, I, you should have been a psychologist. I'm just spilling my guts here. <laughs> I had, I had a friend who died in, in December uh, last year. And we had, I had, she had been the person that I had really been talking to a lot about the trail and, and she was going to help, you know, swap out gear and things like that for me and, and things like that. And, and with her passing, it sort of put a perspective on things, put a spin on things um, right. and sort of made me even more so say like, I've got to do this. Like, and I have it like a little thing of her ashes and she's, she's going with me. She's my mascara. Oh, that's so awesome. And, and she's going with me. And, and as part of that as well, I had this overwhelming urge. I am not religious in any sense of the word, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but there was this overwhelming need to, the phrase I used or the phrase I sort of encapsulated it with was do all the things. Mm -hmm. And even to the extent that I literally tattooed it, on my, tattooed it on my arm to remind me to, to keep me focused on not letting fear get in the way, not letting comfortable get in the way, not, not shying away from the difficult the things yeah. that are the important are the things that are scary and tough and out of your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And, and literally, as I'm saying this to you, 
the thought that just flashed through my mind was taking the job is in your comfort zone. (laughs) I was just going to tell you, it kind of sounds like you've made up your mind, but like, (laughs) but I'm not willing to commit to it yet. Yeah. I mean, it is scary though. It's scary leaving. Mm. Like nursing is a reliable job. Like I knew coming back that it would be fine, but like even leaving nursing was hard, like quitting my job and deciding, okay, I'll see you guys in six months if you guys will hire me back. And if not, then I guess I'll apply somewhere else. Yeah. It's definitely scary though. And I totally see how you feel, but what I think, I don't know. I think, I think you've kind of made up your mind. It's just, I think you're right. <laughs> I think, yeah, it's just that like final string that you need to cut. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I've made up my mind, but now I need to get right with that decision. Hmm. Yeah. And I don't, I mean, I think you'll know, I mean, you can always get off trail and if you decide that it's not for you, it's not like you're permanently on there, but yeah. at the same time, like if you never give yourself that chance, yep. will you always think what if? Absolutely. And those are the hardest. If. Yeah. Yeah. That's so always. cool that you're taking her ashes with you. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited for Ellen to be along for the ride. We were, we had a lot of fun together. So it'll be, it'll be really cool to, to have her be out there with me. Yeah. Are you going to keep the ashes when you're done? Or are you going to plant them somewhere? Or? Um, I was kind of thinking about leaving, like scattering them a little bit along the way, but I do want to keep, I do want to make sure that I have some left at the end. Mm-hmm because this isn't the only or the last adventure that I want us to go on together. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited for you. (laughs) For the both of you. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. It's funny, like talking with you guys, talking with you, talking with, you know, everybody else, your love of the trail, your enthusiasm just comes through and just ignites something in me and I hope the other people who are listening to the episodes as well, but it just ignites something in me of certainty, I guess Mm -hmm. of the incredibleness of the experience. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I don't know. It's, it's one of those things like for me, I'm not super emotional and I'm not like super like I'm bubbly, but I'm not super lively and like over the top and And so, like, to listen, like, when I listen to other people talk about the trail, and they're like, it was amazing, and it was this, and, like, and I'm just like, yeah, I really love the trail, and it was really cool to be on trail and to live simple, and, but, like, I I always feel like I'm not as excited as everyone else is, but it definitely is an experience that, that changes you and your perspective, and I don't know, everyone always asks me, like, was it life-changing, and I'm like, yes, no, like, it was life-changing, I think it was life changing, not in like a dramatic way for me, but in like little things. But little, the little things became the big thing. So that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds totally stupid, but it it feels like it's sort of it strips away the things that we hide behind in the normal world, in the quote unquote real world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. It's kind of crazy that a little strip of dirt can <laughs> that's what it is. Well, I mean, it's a really long strip of dirt, but a strip of dirt nonetheless. 
yeah. can do all of that for you. Yeah, it is. It is. I, okay. So this is a, this is going to sound like a really bizarre question, but I have to ask it. Yeah. In my head, honestly, I've started to think of the PCT not as just a strip of dirt, not as an inanimate object. I've started to give it a personality. Uh-huh. Is that crazy? <laughs> I don't think so. Because, I mean, I don't know. It's almost like it, it, it is kind of, I don't know, it, it's going to be a part of your life for six months or for four yeah. and a half or however long it takes to hike it. Like, it, it's a part of your life and it's, I don't know, it's there whether you like it or not. It's not going anywhere unless you get off trail. And mm-hmm. I don't know, it does, it does kind of, it's almost like a person. I mean, you have your good days where it treats you well and you have days where it kicks you around. So mm-hmm. I kind of feel like, I don't think it's crazy. It is. It's, it's like be, that, it's, that boss that you love and hate. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> the love and hate relationship. Yeah, I don't think it's crazy at all. Uh, good. Okay. So I'm not going crazy. No, no, no. And I mean, so have you been planning a lot? Yes and no. I should be, and I'm usually quite a planner, Mm -hmm. but I'm almost like glorying in my head about the how quickly can I pull it together theme. So, Mm -hmm. so we'll see how this goes. I still have (laughs) all winter. Yeah, you've got quite a bit of time. I don't know. I'm, yeah, I don't. I've, I've, my like my my suggestion is don't send resupply boxes. There's some places you have yeah. to because it's super but those expensive. Are in Washington, right? Yeah, yeah. In Washington, you definitely have to. Um, there's not a whole lot of places unless you hitch out to like the next town, which a lot of people did. We did that in Washington just because I I am really against resupply boxes. I sent one to Warner Springs, and it was terrible. Like eating the same thing that I ate the first two weeks was just horrible. So that was the last time I did that. Unless until like down the road. Um, I'm trying to think when I sent the next one. I think I sent one in Oregon because there's one place in Oregon where you can't, there's no towns to go to. You just have your box. Um, but got hooks and the plan my PCT and website and all of that. And I mean, I kind of depended on the other hikers that I was with anybody that I was with, I'd ask them like, Hey, what are you doing for the next town? And they kind of tell me whether there were places to resupply or not. So I don't know. I'm like, I said, I'm a procrastinator. So I'm not a planner. <laughs> I don't do well with playing. Well, I, I'm, I'm sort of following your path. Yeah. I think it's a good one. It, it's I, an I easy know. one. <laughs> Make it exciting. <laughs> exactly. Spontaneous. Exactly. I was going to ask you something else. Um, did you already buy all your gear? No, I have a tent. I have a long sleeve button down short. I have a hat and I have a buff. You think that'll get me all the way through the trail? It might. <laughs> <laughs> you might need a, a pair of underwear in there or some pants. <laughs> well, I mean, you only needed one. So come on. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, no, my next, probably my next big purchase is a sleeping bag. Mm-hmm. And the other big one that I am worried about is shoes, particularly because I have high arches and I have a high, the the top of my foot over my arch is high, I think mm-hmm. even as well. And so I have a lot of issues with 
pressure on my foot in that area. And if there are two things in this world that I am princess in the pea about, one of them is my feet and the shoes, and the other one is my bike seat. <laughs> <laughs> so since the bike seat is irrelevant, then it's, on, yeah. it's all focused on the shoes. <laughs> Have you tried shoes yet? Like trail runners? Um, I have tried some shoes and I was having some success with like the Brooks Cascadia, but okay. it was a different, it was a different version of them than, than what is out now. Uh, and, and I don't know about how you found shoes. Like, what did you end up using? Um, so I started with ultras and I hated those things. Like if I could burn all of them, I would. <laughs> a lot of people swear by them though. Yeah. I, I can't do the no, the no drop thing. Yeah. Yeah. I had Achilles issues. I had, mm-hmm. and then I felt like the shoe disintegrated within the first hundred miles. Um, yeah. And I don't do well with no cushioning. If I can feel a rock under my shoe, I'm done. Like <laughs> not happening. Yeah. <laughs> so I ended up switching to Hoka's and I got Hoka's with the really puffy sole, and they're really, really ugly. They look like Buzz Lightyear shoes, but they're super comfy and going through Oregon and the lava rock and all of that. I never had any issues. But they're they're mid drop shoes, mm-hmm. so they're right in between like normal shoes and the ultras. But I didn't have any issues with them like I did with the ultras. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't know. Try them. Yeah, like I, I'm my my thing would be to go and literally sit in REI or you know Roadrunner or whatever, and literally just try on shoes, try to find three different pair of things that seem to work and then put some miles on them and literally see if they will work. Yeah. Yeah. And have you ever to return shoes to REI? I have not. Why? I was just asking cause uh, well, cause I like, if I was going to test shoes, I would totally buy them from REI cause you can return them. Yeah. True. It's kind of bad, point. but <laughs> <laughs> then you don't have to keep them forever. Yeah. Like, if you don't like them. So, I don't know. I don't know how you feel about that. Cause I'd kind of be like, I already wore them. I'm not going to take them back. But my dad took them his back, so. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think I would be on the fence with it normally. But when you're spending that much money. Yeah. It, it's got to be right. Got to yeah. be right. I totally agree. And when you're going to put that many miles in. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I, I honestly don't know. I mean, that is one thing that I am most that I am worried about is I don't know how my body would stand up to doing, you know, 25 plus miles a day continuously. So, you know, I, I'm kind of like, okay, I think it would probably be comfortable to do 15 to 17. Mm-hmm. I think my body can probably handle that consistently, but I don't know about the big miles. Um, I have, I have had too many injuries through my sporting career. And (laughs) this is the secret that nobody tells you is that you're active, which is supposed to be raw, raw, good. And all of the injuries that you accumulate, they come back to haunt you. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) It's a dirty little secret. Right. Uh, I think you'll be surprised. I, uh, I think, I mean, I think everybody who starts is like, oh God, all these people, because I see your stories about people hiking 30 miles and I was like, there's not even enough time in the day to hike 30 miles. 
there's literally not enough time. So I don't know how you people are doing this. Like you guys are never sleeping or, or what, but I think your body, I don't know, you get your trail legs and I, you, you kind of surprise yourself with what your body's actually capable of. I mean, even, yeah, I think, I think you'll be surprised. I'll be, I'll be, um, <laughs> you'll be I'm interested so to see what happens. Yeah, yeah, I'm so excited <laughs> to follow you. I'm like, and I'm waiting for the day that you post like, I did 35 miles today. <laughs> well, and, and now, now that I know that you're following and now that we've had this conversation, I, I will definitely post that. And I will be saying, <laughs> okay, this one's for you, Jade. Yeah. I'm waiting for it. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Um, um, what tent did you end up deciding on? Uh, Copper Spur. So a big Agnes. Uh, okay. Two person. It's, yeah, it's not the, I wanted freestanding. Uh-huh. Um, and I wanted two person because it's, uh, I wanted the little extra space. Right. Uh, and also I've sort of talked a friend into possibly joining me on the trail in Northern California. So oh. this way she could actually stay with me as opposed to having to get her own tent and that kind of thing. So, yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, that's <laughs> so that'll so, be yeah. really fun. I, yeah, I, we were literally talking the other day and, and she was like, Oh, the PCT. Yeah. I was thinking about that. I'm like, where are you going to do it? She's like, I just, I can't quit work. I can't quit work for six months and, and do that. I'm like, well, how about like a couple weeks? And so she said, yes. She said, yeah, she was game. Oh, that's awesome. It'll be nice to have like a sense of civilization on trail, at least for a little bit. Sense of like yeah. familiarity. Yeah. But I, but I do worry about after our conversation about mascara and deodorant, <laughs> I, I do. Now think about, you know, my friend coming out clean from civilization and, uh, with all of her stuff, with all of her stuff, but, but not prepared for the smell of it all. Yeah. So to speak. Yeah. You kind of have to like warn people about that stuff. We had a guy in our group whose girlfriend came out and he's from Australia. And Mm -hmm. so his girlfriend came out and freaking blew our mind. Like she went into the Sierras with us and, that girl can hike like she wasn't hiking outside she wasn't prepping nothing but when she got into the Sierra, she was hiking faster than most of us it was ridiculous um but but her bag was so small because he had like prepped her (laughs) on what you need and don't need and don't bring this and don't bring this and her bag Mm -hmm. was tiny though in the snow like it was it was really crazy but i think if you prep your friend and kind of warn her this is what you're in for and you'll be fine Fingers crossed. And, <laughs> and on, on one level, I almost don't want to prep her because, you know, I don't want her to even double think it. Yeah, that's true. Just come. Northern California. It'll be great. It'll be fun, they said. <laughs> exactly. Famous last words. Yeah. Dad was on, he was picking up, like he was following us. But then when we were mm-hmm. in the Sierra, he was picking up random people and talking to them and taking them into town and all sorts of trail angel stuff. I was like, how do you even know this person? And he's like, well, I met him over here and I was talking to him. And I'm like, that's weird, dad. That's weird. <laughs> he has his own trail stories to tell. He does. He totally does. It's so funny too, because everyone in our little bubble knew my parents. Somehow they knew my parents. I love that. That, that makes my heart very glad. <laughs> it was cute. 
It was cute. A little much sometimes, but it was cute. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, thank you for letting me kill uh, your Saturday night. Oh, absolutely. And thank you back at you. Cause oh, of course. It was your Saturday night, too. <laughs> Yeah, but I don't really have a. <laughs> ever, since, <laughs> ever since I came back, it's like work, hike, sleep, and yeah, like hang the out. Priority with, shift. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for for sharing your Saturday evening and uh, for sharing your stories. Yeah, of course. Thanks for letting me. That was awesome. So, how do you pick who you interview? You just pick random people off the PCT or off trail. Yeah, I mean, most of it basically is through Instagram. It's, it's you know, for people, through people who are posting uh, about the trail, like hashtag the trails in some way. Okay. And it's, it's not, it's not specific to the PCT. It's through hiking. It's any of the trails, you know, even international trails like the TA or, you know, that type of thing, though, most of the people that I've talked to have done the domestic trails. Uh-huh. And it's just, you know throwing a line out to them and basically saying, Hey, would you be interested in coming on this podcast and, and talking about your experiences on the trail and the gear that you used and, and that kind of stuff. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, you, you got the, the DM, you know, that's kind of where it starts. Okay. And then we see who's, who's interested and then it's, you know, kind of following up and trying to schedule it and, and that kind of thing. And then for each person that we schedule or that I schedule, you know, I, I go in and I try to do at least a little bit of research on them, you know, even if it's just on Instagram in terms of what their experiences were out there and, and try to do some notes so that I can, so that I know kind of questions to ask, but also so that I can guide them, you know, because mm-hmm. the whole point of this is, is for you to tell your stories and also to make people like me, people who have not been on the trail, but are maybe thinking about the trail, see it as something that's completely doable. That's really cool. So how did you even start the podcast? Until you just decided I'm going to start interviewing people? Because Actually, the the origin is I, I worked on a show up in Portland and a friend, a, a cousin of a friend, actually. Uh, so I was mentioning to this this friend that I was interested in doing the PCT and, and he's like, Oh, my cousin did the PCT with her son, you know, in, in 2000 and whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. you should talk to her. I'll check it. I'll, I'll see it. You know, if you're interested in talking to her, I'll, I'll check and see if she's interested in talking with you. And so he did. And, and I had a couple of long conversations with her over, over dinner Mm -hmm. or dinners. And it was so, I loved it so much. I loved talking to her. I loved hearing her stories. I loved hearing her tips and suggestions and, and tricks for trail. And, and it's got me thinking about how could I, how could I have an excuse to talk to more people like this? And, and the, the information that I'm getting, the stories that I'm hearing from people, other, I think other people would be interested in hearing as well. So how do I sort of meet both of those needs? And from that, the podcast was born. That's really cool. Yeah. It's been so wild. It, it's funny. Like me left to my own devices would never reach out to people and say, Hey, would you be interested in talking to me about this? But because of a podcast and because, you know, we're putting out weekly episodes, so you got to feed the beast. Yeah. 
you, that totally makes you sense. have that impetus. Yeah. Um, and it's been absolutely wonderful to do. Well, I will let you have your Saturday night back. Back at you. It has <laughs> been a pleasure to, to speak with you. Yeah, you too. And links for Jade's gear can be found on our website at hiking-through.com. Special thanks to Jade for sharing her stories from the trail and Maya Wynn for the use of the song, Try Again. If you have through hiking adventures to share, I'd love to hear them. Please email me at hikingthroughpodcast at gmail.com or you can also DM me on Instagram at hikingthroughpodcast. And if you like what we're doing here, we'd love it if you'd find us on your favorite podcast provider, and leave a review. I'll see you on the trail.